Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and with me, my uh, co-host, Joshua Gray. I like this. That's better, you know, instead of as always and my friend or what. Well, you're, what? Still, you're still my friend. <laughs> Man, it's such a charge every time I hear you say that. that I'm only that saying that because the chaplains are here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, spoiler people, alert. You kind of can't put people down in front of them, can you? No, no. Uh, so, yeah, spoiler alert. We have the chaplain service joining us today um, in honor of the upcoming uh, Spiritual Care Week. And we're honored to have you here because we have never in our year and a half we've been doing the show we've never had the chaplains here so welcome Thank and you. it's exciting because our chaplain service has grown exponentially in the last couple of years um i remember when i first got here four years ago we only had two or three and i think one was on his way out and uh now we have a very robust chaplain service so um here to introduce first uh dwight webster he is the uh, dr webster correct so he is a, a man of many trades. We learned he uh, was a former DJ in college, a former NFL player, and now he is the current chief of chaplain service as well as the supervisor chaplain. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Thank you for the invitation. And we have one of our newest chaplains here. We have Esther Varghese, correct? G. Varghese. G. Varghese. G. Varghese. I'm sorry. G. Varghese. <laughs> and she is the women's chaplain. Yes. And you've been here for two months, so welcome to the VA here Thank in Southern so Nevada. Much. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. So before we get into what exactly the chaplain service does here, um, well, each of you kind of tell me about what brought you into becoming a chaplain. Uh, so I was serving um, at the uh, New York City, uh, New York Harbor uh, VA healthcare system in Manhattan, and uh, I completed my residency there. And uh, I've been looking for a full-time placement, and um, that's when uh, Dr. Webster um, called me and uh, offered me uh, the job. Now, I had to go through the interview process and uh, the whole hiring, which was a very tedious process. But, um, yeah, it's, a, it's been a good solid two months now that I've uh, been here, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. So my journey goes back to college, and so just struggling as a football player, uh, trying to find my path in life. Um, I had a goal of going to do pre-law and business administration, but accepted my call in ministry in college. And um, I remember in, in high school, my, my buddy in, in 1980 wanted to go to the Army and do the buddy program. But I'm like, no, I got to go play football. <laughs> so I did the walk-on in college and did that. And then while in seminary, it dawned on me that someone, the librarian said, hey, why don't you consider being a chaplain in the military? So I always did that, that desire to do military service. Uh, but now I had a focus. I could be a chaplain. I was all well started pastoring a church, and so I ended in '86. I joined the, the Navy as a chaplain's candidate student, and then from there, '93, um, I, I requested active duty status. So um, I, it kind of just came to me through just somebody encouraging me to look at some other options as far as my desire to serve in the military, but with a primary focus. So have you both kind of felt, like, always felt that spiritual calling to, to work within the chaplain service? No. I did. <laughs> I mean, you talk about the call, so that's a, that's a convoluted kind of question, but the call to serve broadens itself. So I, I think that I was just open to serve and have learned along the way that that changed. So I've learned, I've been a pastor, 
I've been a mental health person as a, as a clergy person. I've been in chaplaincy was just one of those things that, you know, um, God opened the door for me to do, and that call just broadened itself. So as I go through my ministry career looking at it, it's so I start off thinking this ministry thing is a foundation, and it just broadened itself. So I can pastor, I could be a chaplain. Um, so that variety allows me to work in different settings. So the call for me has been just to be in ministry, and then God has specifically honed that down to a variety of things I could do, which is kind of, was, I didn't plan it that way. Mm-hmm. So, so do I feel called to do what I do? Exactly. I don't think I could do anything other than what I've, anytime I tried to do anything other than ministry, I didn't, it didn't succeed for me. It had to be a combination, ministry and work. So uh, if I was going to work somewhere, it had to be connected to what I was doing as far as my call in ministry. And Esther, you, you said you've kind of always felt that calling? Yeah, so uh, when I was in the third grade, um, the news reporters came to our school, and they had um, the, the topic of the article was, what do third graders want to become when they grow up? And the teacher uh, selected three students, uh, two boys and a girl, myself. And um, the, the first boy said that he wanted to be a scientist. And, you know, he had the big lights back in those days, like huge camcorders. And uh, they said, why? And he said how he wanted to, you know, contribute to science. And the next person said he wanted to be a fireman. And they asked why. And he basically, basically wanted to rescue people and save the world. And, and then it was my turn. And so there were, you know, a lot of oohs and ahs and all when they were, you know, answering the questions. And... Um, they said, well, what do you want to be when you want to, when you grow up? And I said, well, I, with the same enthusiasm, I said, well, I want to be a missionary. And they all looked at me and their jaws dropped. And they said, well, why, why do you want to be a missionary? And I said, to help people, of course. Uh, so as a chaplain, I feel like we're on that mission uh, to hear people's stories and to help them, you know, in a very spiritual and emotional, very deep level. And also, um, Having been born and raised in Illinois, I grew up uh, in my school situated in the cornfields, and we grew up singing uh, My Country Tis of Thee and uh, Oh Beautiful, America the Beautiful, and we saw the Pledge of Allegiance every day. Um, so I've always wanted to you know, give back to um, this great country, to the men and women who have served and sacrificed their um, heart, their soul, their, you know, their body for this country. And um, my mother, uh, she uh, retired from the VA hospital. She served for over 30 years um, in the VA hospital, and she's always been, you know, talking about her patients and about the wonderful experience at the VA. And she's shared so many stories with me. She had me volunteer when I was in eighth grade at the Bronx uh, VA hospital, uh, you know, because I grew up in New York City afterwards. And my sister um, went into the Air Force. And so, you know, being a part of, you know, of this huge, um, you know, facility, this healthcare system, and being able to serve as a chaplain is, you know, a, a calling. And, you know, I consider it one of my greatest honors. So now that we know what your personal reasons for serving are, what is the mission of the chaplain service at the VA? So our mission is to make sure that every veteran has the right to um, have their religious preferences, practices as a resource for them, um, as a support for them in their treatment. So we're to protect that right. They have the right to it. So we, we make sure that no one's trying to processize them in terms of share their faith with them, but they get to experience their own faith wherever that tradition is. We have 293 different religions uh, representing the 50,000 veterans who identified a religious preference here at our VA. And our job is to provide for those and facilitate for others and protect the rights of those to have their religious freedoms exercised. 
So as a chaplain, um, you know, Josh and I were both in the military. So we know that there's a, a very diverse you know, group of religions. I know in you know, my basic training flight alone, we had probably seven or eight different denominations that would go to different services um, just you know, during the six weeks we were there. Um, how do you account for that wide spectrum? Do you like, individually have to be well-versed in all of the ceremonies and, and traditions of each faith? I think in the military, we had to get that experience really rather quick. I think that over time, most of our chaplains are, or at least they're educating what we call world religions and making sure they have that basic knowledge of world religions. And then the ones you don't know, you have to research and look up and see what the specific needs are. Uh, so um, I, taught, I taught at Australia University world religions, so that was, you know, again, one of the things, you, you know, in the military, you've got to know everybody's religious preference so that you can facilitate or provide. And so that's just a common thing that chaplains are trained to do, and those who don't have it don't do well because it's not about projecting your faith but accepting other people where they are, meeting them where they are, and helping them to find that path to, to that, that resource be a strength to them more. If it's a liability, how do we help you work through how your faith is not a resource for you? And um, so, yeah. So on a day-to-day basis, what does a chaplain at the VA do? Well, when you look at what we do, so that's, that's, you know, right now our chaplains are all new to our facility, so they're getting to do the things to take care of themselves first, which is important for me. And as they do that, then we, we have assigned them a different particular uh, programs or, you know, our, our, our centers. And so there, basically, we meet people where they are, trying to find out how we can be of help to them. So we have, we have several pathways we do that. So we do, you know, we do what we just, we call the Ministry of Presence. So in the, in the primary clinics, our chaplains go out to the lobby and they meet people, greet people. Um, they participate in team meetings so they can expand the knowledge of who we are and what we do. Um, then we're available to do individual with people who may need that individual. individual. Uh, we also do groups. We do spiritual assessments. Those are things we do in bereavement. So on a day-to-day basis, we're always trying to be available for people and their needs. When you know, when I think of what chaplains would do in the military, you know, you're, I think of I, I spent a lot of time overseas, so I think about that that overseas chapel, and it, it's it's much like a church individually in the United States, where there's a community. You have, uh, for lack of a better term, you have a flock, right? Um, here, in you know, it's very transient with patients and things like that. How does that change how you approach, uh, how you minister to people uh, when you don't have a, a set people that, that come to your, your church every week? So what, 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 that's a great question. What happens is, so for instance, I give an example. Chaplain G. Verghese, um, I signed her to a women's clinic. So her flock is the women's clinic. 14,000 women veterans are her flock. So she has to begin that journey of making the contacts with the people in terms of building the relationships, the bridge the relationships so that she can speak to the lives of those veterans who are coming, but, but getting to know the staff and taking that time to see who's to, who, who to talk to, what you, how you get things done. So that, that whole process is so we move from people coming to the chapel that we're going to where they are. So I got four, two chaplains at the primary clinics to cover two days out of the week. Uh, going to where you know the, the resident patients are or residents are or going to the community the vet center so we, we're just trying to move from we got the, we got the chapel thing covered but the other side as we expand here is that those places where they're assigned becomes their flock 
So we had uh, Charlene Deegan on a couple days ago, or a couple episodes ago, and talked a lot about uh, whole health and uh, all the different components that go into it, you know, with intellectual health, physical health, spiritual health was one that she had brought up. How does the chaplain service kind of fit in within that whole health model? So when you look at the whole health model, it's body, mind, and spirit or soul. So we look at the, we look at how a person, we do our spiritual assessment, we look at how are they spiritually aligned, that is, where, what is it they believe about and practice, those are one of the things, but the other piece is that, what, what is, how do you deal with the, the human emotions, like fear, uh, bereavement, um, anger, all of those things become ways that we can fit into their picture and help them, um, I what we call depression, you know, there's, you know, all of that, those mental things that we term the mental health things we we also try to do what we call more injury so those things you know or or um the um the spiritual woundedness of people because people have gone to churches or gone to religious institutions and have been wounded by those experiences so we look for ways to help them understand how they can heal from that or find meaning make meaning from those experiences and so it very it, it varies from person to person but the spiritual piece is that we are the only ones authorized by the by the VA to speak to that that part of a person. No one can do that but us. So you know we try to find ways to fit into the team, whether it's in any the idea the, the interdisciplinary teams where we, we we meet a veteran and we speak and advocate for them on their behalf because sometimes their resistance is based on their dilemma between how they lived and what they believed. And it's not that they don't want treatment, it's just they're trying to sort through that dilemma of I'm not practicing what I believe and I'm resisting this treatment. And so we get to come and advocate that and help make that connection for the providers as well as for the veteran. You know, I've heard that term used a couple times, moral injury. Can you talk a little bit more about what moral injury is? So I had a veteran who was probably a Vietnam veteran and he was struggling for years. Um, I was in Hampton. And they sent me to talk to him. He was in the more, he was in the PTS group, PTSD group, and he said, "I'm struggling with this thing because I'm a Catholic, and I, I, I murdered someone." And so he's talking about his experience, and he said, "I'm going to go to hell." He had this fear of being in hell because he murdered someone. So my understanding, because I've had Greek and Hebrew, is I had to look at the Greek, the really the Hebrew word for murder in the Old Testament. It's it's not the word with the intent to kill someone a premeditative decision, the word kill is referring to something that got honored in that moment of defense. And so, but but the word in the Hebrew Bible was you should not intentionally go kill someone. And so he had to be able to make that distinction between what his actions were part of his defense and not an intent. And when he got that connection, it was like, wow. Hmm. He could put that memory in a safe place, honor it, but not haunt him anymore. Okay. So it's when people have it, when they, when, when they practice something and it goes against their belief, there's a more injury. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with the chaplain service. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
Getting a flu shot helps us stay healthy so we don't miss out on what matters. Like that family movie night your daughter can't live without. <coughs> yeah, can't do that. Every year, millions of people in the U.S. get the flu. Especially now, no one has time to miss out on moments that matter. So get your flu shot. Find out more at getmyflushot.org. Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here with Esther and Dr. Webster from the Chaplain Service. Uh, so we've met the two of you, um, and you mentioned briefly about two of the chaplains who are covering the primary care clinics. Uh, what is the other, re- the rest of our growing staff of chaplains? So right now we have Chaplain Bailey, who covers the Northeast Northwest Clinic, uh, two days out of the week in Beach Clinic. Chaplain Amici covers the Southeast Southwest Clinic. Uh, Chaplain Johnson covers um, oncology, it covers um, radiology and the emergency department, EMS, the police, and food services. Because I believe in workplace chaplaincy. That's another thing that we I decided to be intentional about, is that those three areas of food service, the police, um, and EMS usually don't get looked at as far as care. So we've been intentional about providing workplace chaplaincy with, with him, which is going to be kind of a hard thing for one person to cover all those areas, but we're going to do it. Um, the other uh, chaplain, Chaplain um, Williams, is going to be my mental health chaplain working with behavioral health. Um, chaplain uh, Guilford will be working with um, our dialysis, where we've never been, our, 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 our transfusion clinic, she's never been, no one's ever been there, and to work with our um, dialysis, uh, infusion and oncology. We've never been there. I'm shifting Chaplain Nelson and Chaplain uh, Lewis. Chaplain Lewis will become my palliative care chaplain in bereavement. Chaplain the, uh, Howard will be, Chaplain Nelson will become my chaplain for inpatient care, all of our units there. Um, and I'm looking to add an educator so we can start teaching clergy how to do what we do. Um, I've asked for that because it's important for us to be a training facility in the desert. I think that's a good model for us to be able to do that and provide that service. And that, that's an old one. I have my other chaplain who's going to be 100% virtual. And that person is Chaplain Magooder. She will work with our, our vet centers and she'll work with our, our, our Pahrump and Laughlin clinics uh, trying to get that, that, that virtual chaplaincy. And we're going to work with research with her to do some research on on the veteran experience of virtual chaplaincy. So what is the, that's a lot of chaplains, uh, what does the denominational breakdown look like in there? Because you, you, you mentioned, you know, you have to be, you know, you have to be kind of knowledgeable about everything, but at the same time, you have a background, right? You, there's a certain seminary that you studied at. So what's your denominational breakdown look like? Right now we have uh, Chaplain uh, Johnson, is ba- two, ja- two chaplains who are Baptists, one chaplain who is Methodist, 
Uh, one chaplain um, is a Catholic, um, we call uh, Orthodox chaplain, uh, chaplain, Orthodox Catholic chaplain. Uh, chaplain Verghese, you are non-denominational. Non so we have two non-denominational, and then uh, the other, the other three are non-denominational. Now, by non-denominational, you mean like non-denominational Christian or non-denominational like any faith whatsoever? Yeah, I'm non-denominational of the Christian background. Okay. But the endorsement comes from a specific group. So each of the endorsements, even though they're non-dominational, they're endorsed by an agency that is sponsored and seen by the VA as um, a viable endorsing agent. So any one of the, the chaplains that we have on staff, you know, while they all may be based in Abrahamic religions, they could all foreseeably, you know, experience a, a patient who is Buddhist or is yes. Muslim. And they are certified and qualified to provide that care, right? Right. Well, facilitate it because we do that. So we, yes, all our chaplains are, 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 are well prepared and educated to provide and facilitate service for our Muslims or, or Buddhists, any other religion that we have out there, we would, we would definitely facilitate for. Excellent. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, the, uh, you know, the, the different breakdown of all the different religions that exist, you know, within our veteran population. You said 250-something? 293. 293. That's incredible. Um, recently, I read a statistic that for the first time in U.S. history, just a little less than half of Americans are identifying themselves as being part of a certain church or certain faith. You know, I'm, I'm, our veteran population is a microcosm of the greater American populace. Uh, how do you reach out to those veterans who maybe don't have an identified faith or religion? So let me share from my own personal experience, because I think it makes sense. So when I became, um, when I got into what we call ministry, I had a guy come to me um, named Joe Bellani, um, who didn't come to beat me with the Bible, but he made God real to me. And what he did was, is he just talked to me about what my needs were, didn't try to beat me with the Bible, but love me as a person. So what our chaplains do is we know there are people who don't have a sense of faith like we do. Mm -hmm. So we meet them where they are. Right. This guy met me where I was, didn't challenge me to just accept his, his relationship with me. And out of that, I discovered the power of relationships, that if you can build a relationship with someone and you represent the divine, something divine happens can't explain it to you. Maslow says that people have these experienced valleys and peaks. Somebody can have a religious experience that can't be explained, that helps them with their, 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 their symptoms or whatever is going on. And so we try to create a sacred space for people to share or not share so that something sacred can happen. And sometimes it's planting the seed. We're not there to build the tree or build the house. We plant the seed, trying to help them to find meaning or make meaning uh, the suffering of their human existence. And sometimes that doesn't mean we talk about religion or spiritual things. We listen and let them tell their story. And sometimes in telling the story, something dynamic happens, something spiritual happens, because somebody took the time of their busy day to stop and give five, ten minutes to listen to someone talk. Do you find it more difficult to treat moral injury with somebody who maybe doesn't have as strong of a spiritual background? Not necessarily because you work where they are. You know, they, they, if they don't have a spiritual background, they're still, there's, a, there's a belief system they have that is conflict with what they did, what happened. So you have to find out what that belief system is and help them understand 
the connection disconnect. So that requires conversation. My dissertation was a mentoring, and you can't get access to this part of what's going on in the belief system if the person doesn't trust you. So we're able to build in a second or few minutes a trusting relationship out of the genius of what we do that people feel compelled to share or not share. And sometimes they don't, but it takes time, you know, for them to feel comfortable to do that. But that's the dynamics. So with this year being, uh, or this upcoming week being Spiritual Care Week, the theme for this year is advancing spiritual care through research. Uh, you know, research is something you always think about with, you know, with science and with, you know, the medical care stuff going on here. But, you know, research obviously is a big part of what you do within the chaplain service. Um, how do chaplains with the VA use research to improve care for veterans? The VA overall, um, in terms of overall, we're always trying to collect the statistics in terms of what we do and how we do it. So we have, we, we report out to our national chaplain things, but in terms of specifics, I think historically the, 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 the evidence-based research has mostly been done as a spiritual assessment. That is, collect, how, do you help, how, do you, how do you discover what a person's resources are spiritually? So the spiritual assessment tool becomes that one particular tool. For me as a, as a service chief here, um, I think it's important for me, with my, with my virtual chaplain, to connect with research to see what can we discover from the veteran experience that we can see as a best practice. So there's sometimes our research leads us to best practice versus evidence-based because it's hard to, you know, some things are like the, the, the spiritual assessment is real concrete, but there are other pieces we can do that will help us to, again, learn more about how we can improve our veteran experience. And sometimes that research is really collecting the, the results and being able to say best practices versus evidence-based. So a lot of work has gone into um, the, 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 the tools that we use as chaplains that are evidence-based to help us pick and see where the injuries are and where the, you know, the, the person's spiritual distresses are and where their resources lack or need to be improved. Esther, working with the, the women's chaplaincy uh, or chaplain service, what are some of the, the differences that you see or some of the different challenges that you might have that, that other chaplains and other services wouldn't necessarily experience? Oh, okay, I think that's a, a great question. Um, so just the way that um, we're designed, um, you know, females, you know, we're uh, uh, in a very broad sense tend to be more feelers, uh, tend to... Um, think uh, differently and just, you know, the experiences that we have been through as mothers, as sisters, as daughters, um, you know, and so many roles that we uh, carry as providers and in today's day and age, sometimes as single mothers and as the main provider, um, you know, back in the days of hunting and gathering, uh, you know, times have changed. And so, you know, women pretty much do it all. And in doing so, um, have many experiences, many joyous experiences that cannot even be expressed uh, verbally, but uh, also very painful experiences. And so getting to the heart of, of that pain can, you know, uh, you know, it requires taking some time out to really hear their story. A lot of times as providers, um, you know, women are not so much as thinking of themselves as thinking of others, thinking of how they can provide for the family, cook for the family, care for the children, take them to school, um, take care of the bills, take care of all the laundry, and, and all the responsibilities that we have to do, including uh, being car mechanics. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, we pretty much, you know, do it all. And, and so it's such a great strength, uh, but at the same time, you know, 
to say this time is about you. Una, I want to I want to have this time with you. I want to hear your story. I want to hear what's on your heart. You know, what what do you feel about this? How did you undergo that? You know, what was that like for you? I uh, is is phenomenal for it to be asked that. And so that loving them through listening is a huge part of what I do. And hearing um, what can't otherwise be heard, uh, seeing, uh, looking to actually see them as a person, as a, you know, and, and to see what can't be seen and to help give voice to, to their fears, give voice to their pain, give voice to those emotions and be able to help them uh, realize their own truths of what's true for them and um, help them realize their own aha moments. Um, you know, it, it's profound, it's deep. And sometimes having to do that means that I have to leave my comfort zone and enter with them in their, uh, it could be a pit of depression, it could be, you know, a valley of pain, it could be very, you know, um, difficult. But with that empathy and with that compassion uh, comes so much revelation and comes so much healing um, and, and it really um, contributes to their wholeness. So it's quite different. Um, it, veterans as a as a community as a whole can sometimes be very very set in their ways um, can be very very particular about how things are um, have you ever run into any situations where you have a veteran from maybe a religious background that doesn't doesn't necessarily provide for for female clergy uh, have you ever had any instances where that's been a, a roadblock or and if so how have you dealt with that okay yeah so I used to visit a uh, I know a, a, a female veteran who identified herself as a Seventh-day Adventist uh, of, of that faith. And uh, in talking with her and developing relationship, um, I realized her stance on clergy. And uh, at one point we were having this conversation, this was a few visits in, and she said, you know, Esther, I would like to be anointed with oil. And, I, and prayed for, for her you know, particular um, illness. And I said, uh, okay, well, would you like me to ask a male chaplain? And she said, oh my goodness, how did you know? And she said, in my faith, and she, she quoted the uh, book of James, and she said that if any person is sick, they, th they should call for the elders of the church, and that that person is the elder, uh, in her perspective, would be a male. And uh, she was just uh, deeply touched that I was able to, to feel that need for her. And I said, no problem. I, I asked one of my male colleagues and we, I provided an, you know, the anointing oil and we went together and he anointed and we prayed together. I shared a, a scripture uh, and, and it was just a wonderful, lovely you know, time of healing for her. Um, but yeah, in, in those kind of situations, I don't let myself get in the way. Um, but the perceived need is what needs to be addressed and cared to, and that's what I'm about to attend to that. It's, it's such a unique thing that you guys do because you know every person that you care for, it's such a uniquely personal thing. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, everyone physically may be pretty similar. You know, all of our anatomy is relatively the same, but you know, inside and you know our spiritual health, like like you said, you, you know, you really have to look at meeting people where they are, and yeah, yeah it's it takes a <laughs> it's a skill set that I don't think I have and a lot of people don't have, but you know, it's, it's good that there are people like that out there. Good. Um, you know, if, if a veteran out there needs spiritual services, you know, if, if they feel like they're, they're unwell, but they don't necessarily want to talk to behavioral health or, or mental health, you know, they feel the need to, to talk to a chaplain, how do they go about making an appointment? So right now we're in the process of um, 
getting the consoles, to, in, which is our process, the consoles uh, finalized so we can actually put them in the system for outpatient, inpatient. So right now we have providers that will call me and, and call our chaplains, and we, we do things through encrypted email right now, but eventually it'll be through um, the consoles. The other way is if a veteran, we have also an on-call chaplain. So, you know, they can call the operator, and the operator will connect to the on-call chaplain, and we'll try to make a point for the next day uh, so that that person can be seen. Um, I don't have an a, a administrative person that can answer the phone and take calls and kind of filter those things. We'll work on that piece to have an office where we have like a receptionist kind of thing where somebody receives calls and we can filter them to the chaplains. Um, that's the part of, you know, developing an apartment from scratch. You don't have those things to put them in place. So ideally that's part of what we'd want to do or help to do. But those are, that's, that's how right now, if a veteran wants to get to us, you know, call into the VA, you know, the operator will give you the on-call chaplains after hours. If it's during the day, um, you know, call and talk. They'll connect with each chaplain because all our chaplains carry Viseras, and they will respond to the call or the request. But if it's a provider, we'll work on it, encrypt my email to me, and then once we get the consoles, we'll put that word out to all the providers that they can use the consoles. So they're, they're now late. They're now late. They now dropped them into the system. So... Well, I want to thank both of you for joining us today. You guys have both been phenomenal guests. And I have so many more questions I would uh, love to right. ask you guys. So <laughs> we're going to have to have you guys on again. Well, one last thing I say is that we're hoping to reach out to our veterans who were incarcerated um, in the jails and in the prisons. That's kind of my, my pet project that I'm going to take on in my clinical work so that we can reach out to those veterans with the uh, folk who do the work there in, in, in veterans court. I think we're going to probably want to have you on on another podcast day, and I think that could be a topic that's, that we could talk yeah, about. That's, that's just its own show. show. Yeah. <laughs> so that's incredible, and we're looking forward to, to seeing how that develops. All right. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you, you both. so much for the invite. We appreciate this time. Thank you. So, yep, next week will be Spiritual Care Week. And just a reminder out there for veterans, uh, we are still doing flu shots, and we are doing COVID boosters for veterans over age 65. Uh, for VA staff, remember... Fridays are the days for the COVID boosters, and for both staff and veterans, we are not taking walk-ins at this time. And we are still doing first and second shots for veterans also, so if you don't have it yet, get it, please. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, thank you again for joining us, and we will see you folks in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening.